Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. New study out on what happens when states decide to repeal the prevailing wage. Big rally this week for workers at Harper Collins in New York. Today on the show, we check in with the Transport Workers Union and the IBEW in Southern California. Welcome to the Tuesday, January 31st edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Lynn Montgomery will be our first guest on the show today, and I am looking forward to talking to her. She's a career flight attendant, been on the show a couple of times. She is very proud as president to represent the more than 18,000 members of TWU Local 556. That is the union of Southwest Airlines flight attendants all around the country. Lynn also serves as lead negotiator on the negotiating committee of Transport Workers Local 556, which, by the way, is currently negotiating a new contract with the airline. She's based in uh, Dallas, Texas. Well, you know what happened around the holidays. We're going to talk a whole lot about that. Pretty much operational failures on part of the airline, which affected a whole lot of customers, many of them actually miss Christmas. They're sitting in airports for days, almost a week in some cases. The pilots have been very vocal about this. They pretty much said, you know what? This airline, the way it's structured and the technology that they're using for that structure is way out of date. I'm hearing 30 years old. It was pretty much put together in the 90s, and they're still using it. So this local, 556, is continuing to demand that Southwest, their leadership, address this and make some changes for the long term that have caused a whole lot of problems. Uh, We're also going to talk about a piece of legislation here. The uh, TWU is throwing its weight behind the emergency vacating of aircraft cabin or the EVAC Act. Now, this is a bill that would ensure the FAA uses real-life scenarios while testing evacuation safety on board airlines. The leadership of the TWU, led by John Samuelson, says this is necessary because a lack of sufficient standards can add stress to an already intense situation. Now, you got to wonder about the air that you're breathing in an airline cabin. Uh, there's a lot posted on the, on the TWU website about this. You may have heard about several stories about diverted aircraft from airline carriers in the U.S. and abroad because of what they call toxic fumes. Well, these fumes cause serious health concerns and are not monitored at all on board the aircraft. So the passengers are really not aware that the air that they're breathing 
is circulated through a what they call a bleed air system. Now, that system heats outside air over the engines, which allows toxic fumes to potentially seep into the cabin. Now, the aviation industry is saying, well, it's just a little bit. Don't worry about it. But there are some saying that, wait a minute, wait a minute, none of this should be happening. We're talking engine oil, hydraulic fuel, other aircraft fluids. When they are gasified, as they say, they become potent nerve agents which can cause brain damage, cancer, and loss of motor function. Now, these are extreme situations, mind you. But uh, (laughs) this is crazy. We could probably do a whole show on this. It's called the EVAC Act. You might look it up, Emergency Vacating of Aircraft Cabin. And uh, apparently what the union is trying to do is to uh, get some more tests done. And and don't use, like, um, virtual reality. So, uh, like I said, there's a lot of concern about uh, airlines today. And uh, it's not just because they can't get off the ground when you get a couple of inches of snow on the ground. By the way, Southwest has agreed to pay its pilots around $45 million in bonus gratitude pay for working through the company's service meltdown during the holidays. Now, I wonder if the uh, flight attendants are going to get some of that. We'll find out from Lynn Montgomery. Later in the show, we're going to go to Southern California and check in with Colin Lavin. Colin is a business manager, financial secretary for IBEW Local 47. They're based in Riverside. Big territory, about 50,000 square miles. We're going to talk about their pre-apprenticeship training, safety for all, the quality of journeyman work, and uh, passing down knowledge in the trade. You know, there's... a uh, A lot of young people, they're pushing for more young people to get into the trades. And right now, one of the most popular unions is the IBEW. And for various reasons, I mean, think about the EV charging stations. Technology requires very precise wiring, which is all pretty much covered in those apprenticeship programs. So it's important that the older guys and women kind of talk to the younger generation about what they learned and uh, what they need to prepare for for the future. So uh, Colin Lavin will be our second guest right here on America's Workforce. What's happening in our world of labor? Well, let's find out this segment on America's Workforce brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. New study out from the Illinois Economic Policy Institute and the Project for Middle Class Renewal. This is out of the University of Illinois. And it pretty much says that repealing prevailing wage laws leaves workers with, number one, less earnings. We know that. Less productivity and more likely to rely on public assistance. And there's also an enhanced risk of dying on the job. Now, the infrastructure bill passed last year designated billions of dollars for construction projects around the country. Contractors in states that have repealed prevailing wage laws are facing problems now, staffing up (laughs) because there's a lot of work and they have laws saying you can't use prevailing wage. Well, Six states 
repealed their prevailing wage laws between 2015 and 2018. Here they are. Arkansas, Indiana, Kentucky, Michigan, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. The three states with full prevailing wage repeals saw hourly wages decline at the same time prevailing wage states saw an average wage growth of more than 12%. Larissa Petrucci is one of the researchers, and she said what prevailing wage does, it kind of standardizes and stabilizes the industry of a local market. When you repeal that, what you have is contractors who are able to undercut wages and pay workers far below the training that they have developed to get these kinds of jobs. Now, naturally, you're going to see wages go down. In repeal states, worker productivity and hours worked grew at a much slower rate than states that kept prevailing wage laws in place. In a similar fashion, repeal states saw an increase in the on-the-job fatality rate. Now, the good news in all this, if this is a federal project and many are federal projects, those states that repealed prevailing wage, they have to abide by the federal law. But uh, more and more studies, I mean, every one that I have seen come out shows pretty much what I'm just talking about, what came out of the uh, Illinois Economic Policy Institute. Race to the bottom, race to the bottom, just like right to work. HarperCollins Publishers has finally agreed to intermediation with their union. That would be uh, UAW Local 2110. The union, by the way, has been on strike since November 10th of last year and have not heard directly from the company since their last bargaining session. That was at the beginning of November. The uh, head of the uh, UAW there, 2110, is Olga Brutastova Ogle says we are excited to have this opportunity to continue bargaining with HarperCollins and hope they finally are ready to put a fair offer on the table. Now, we've been on strike for over two months at this point, and it's time for us to resolve our differences. That union represents 250 plus employees in editorial, sales, publicity, design, legal and marketing departments. They're bargaining for higher pay greater commitment to diversifying staff and stronger union protection. And the strikers are planning a rally this Thursday in uh, New York City, the heart of New York City, to amplify the support they have been receiving from various authors, agents, booksellers, even politicians. You might want to follow this uh, Twitter. Take it to the top. Take it to the top. That's the hashtag. Take it to the top. Um, just a little breakdown on what they want. They want to increase the minimum salary from forty-five to fifty thousand. The mainly women workers average about fifty-five thousand dollars a year. Starting salary forty-five thousand. And think about this: this is New York City. That does not go very far in New York City. They also want uh, enhanced diversity and uh, contract security. Again, that hashtag: take it to the top. The uh, WGAE Union, that's the Writers Guild. They represent the folks at Huffington Post, and that contract expires at midnight tonight. The union has been bargaining a new contract for several months, many important issues still on the table. We're talking guaranteed wage increases, 
an industry standard 401k match, health and safety provisions, and the ability to grieve out-of-title work. The members are not prepared to accept a collective bargaining agreement that does not move significantly on those issues that I just talked about. So, uh, again, we'll keep our eye on that one. The Culinary Union, which is part of Unite Here, Local 226, they have launched a website designed to track station casinos' actions and how the company's decisions affect the working people of Las Vegas and the surrounding area. We did a story on this about two weeks ago. So what they have essentially done, they launched a website, mystationswatch.org, mystationswatch.org, which illustrates the Las Vegas Valley footprint that Station Casinos has developed and gives local residents the avenue to have their say about the company's actions in Nevada. Station Casinos is owned by Red Rock Resorts, the only publicly traded Nevada gaming company whose board is all white and all male. Comment here from Bethany Kahn, who's a spokeswoman for the Culinary Union. Bethany says in the midst of a housing shortage, Station Casinos is holding hundreds of acres of undeveloped land. They have demolished three neighborhood casinos and are putting up a luxury resort on the Beltway. We just want to make sure that Station Casinos hears from our communities. So, again, that website is uh, mystationswatch.org. One more here before we break. Workers at a Trader Joe's store, this would be in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, have voted 48 to 36 in favor of unionizing, adding fuel to a labor campaign that seeks to organize the California-based grocery chain, the union Trader Joe's United has won elections now at three stores, adding the Louisville victory to the one in Massachusetts and another in Minneapolis. The union lost one of its four votes. That was at a store in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Trader Joe's is just one of a number of high-profile food and retail companies dealing with a wave of organizing among employees. The chain has more than 500 U.S. stores and managed to stay union-free until an election in Massachusetts last year, and they uh, won that one significantly. All right, quick break. When we come back, Transport Workers Local 556, Lynn Montgomery, the president, talking about what happens at Southwest Airlines. Back in a few. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. 
There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Iron Workers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 iron workers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union iron workers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our iron workers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get the word union there. By the way, if you like a show, please share that show. More people are doing that. In 2023, we want to grow the show. America's Workforce started on the radio in Cleveland, Ohio in 1993. That makes us 30 years old. And uh, the podcasting will be three years this coming June. So again... Everything is posted on awfpodcast.com. We did a really fun show yesterday digging into the Feeney Brothers construction company in Boston. Do check that out. There's a lot of really interesting information that came out from the organizer there, Paul Goodrich, with our presenting sponsor, liuna.org. Right now, let's go to Dallas, Texas, and join Lynn Montgomery. Lynn is the president of the Transport Workers Local 556, representing more than 18,000 flight attendants at Southwest Airlines. Lynn, welcome back to America's Workforce. I'll tell you, the last month, month and a half, had to be one crazy time for you. Talk to me about, uh, about the flight attendants and how you had to deal with that debacle. I think that's the best word to describe of what happened during the holidays. Go ahead. It has been a, just a <laughs> just an awful time for Southwest flight attendants and Southwest customers. And the unfortunate thing is that it was predictable and it should have been preventable. So when you say preventable, uh, is it the technology? I know the pilots were pretty vocal about that. They're saying it was uh, in the uh, the nineteen ninety, which is ironic. Didn't you start at uh, Southwest in like in the mid nineties, something like that? Nineteen ninety five, yes. And that's probably the technology that they're still using today, right? <laughs> well, not too far from apparently, and not too far from. Um, it's it's been something that we as a union have been talking to them about for a long time. And, uh, you know, we've had other issues. This was not the first time Southwest Airlines flight attendants have been left 
sleeping uh, without hotels and on airport floors. We, we've had meltdowns in January 2014, February 2015, December 2015. In July of 2016, we had a complete systems failure where the Southwest servers system-wide just um stopped working. In October 2021, we had an issue created from an ATC that started in Florida, April 2022, and then, of course, this past December. So we're pretty frustrated over here, and it's time for accountability and corruption. So they're obviously not learning from these uh, major failures here. I I have to ask you, is is this primarily the the management in charge? They're not listening to the employees? And and I want to take take uh, everybody back to the the person what is it herb kelleher i've heard some good things about him and maybe you could speak differently on that i don't know but this guy first of all you're, you're very union friendly airline i know that but uh, when he passed away things kind of changed at that airlines can you uh, can you speak to that yeah we had a great really charismatic leader called herb kelleher that really helped make the airline successful. And he had some really amazing business practices. And his basic premise was you put into your employees and then they're going to give to your customers. And in turn, that's going to reward your shareholders. And that premise was was so successful. It was studied in, in business schools alike, all over. But we have completely abandoned that principle. We no longer seem to have that that really employee-friendly, worker-friendly premise anymore. And it's all about profits. We just gave $428 million. The company announced that they're giving $428 million in dividends to its shareholders while you're still having your workers without contracts on property. And that was a really bad look. They were so excited to announce we're the first airline that's going to be returning dividends uh, after the effects of the side effects of COVID. And they left all of us without contracts where the pilots are in contract talks, the flight attendants are in contract talks. Um, There are several other unions on property in contract talks. And we've been seeking a contract since 2018. So shareholders first and the workers second or probably last in this situation. So they, they just don't seem to be getting it here. Do you think uh, what happened over the holidays is, uh, is probably going to happen again? H- have they fixed anything with, with regard to that? You know, I feel like we're still just one winter storm away from another meltdown. But they, they have brought some people in. They've made some uh, immediate fixes to the systems that work slowly and don't have the capability to work up to the speed when major cancellations occur like that. Um, I hope that they're going to be looking into making more cancellations into the areas that will be affected by the weather because they made a lot of cancellations. They made probably not enough cancellations. They didn't seem to realize that when you are going to be going into a city that's affected by weather, it's going to slow things down. Your your ramp agents have to go in and warm up because their hands are so cold from throwing bags and, and being out in the cold. Your fuelers have to take breaks because it's so incredibly cold. So that was part of the problem. There were, there were issues with de-icing and not having enough de-icing or having that slow things down to an incredible amount. So if, if they had canceled more, um, then it would have 
enabled them to position the aircraft where they needed to be so that it didn't have the domino effect that it had on all of our flights across the nation, resulting in just a complete operational meltdown. And talk about a cost to the airline. Uh, We're talking over 16,000 canceled flights, and the time period was December 21st through the 29th. And I'm reading numbers between $725 million to $825 million. Now, I heard that they're paying their pilots, I guess, like bonus or what they call gratitude pay for working through that meltdown. Are you getting any gratitude pay for what you had to put up with during that time? Yes, absolutely. That was that was something, um, it was a small thing, really. It's It's... It's a gratitude pay. It's basically half time for the trips that you worked during the affected time and a little bit after um, through January 3rd. And it's the same as what the pilots are getting, but at our rate of pay, right? So it's a, it's a, basically it's a half time on top of your regular pay and your other premiums that you might have made. It was just to encourage people to come to work and, you know, it's a little something, but it really doesn't make up for all the challenges that flight attendants faced. I mean, we have flight attendants who are on hold trying to find out their next schedule assignment, where their hotels were for up to 17 hours. We had average of three to five hours just to find out what your next assignment was. Unbelievable. I understand that there's going to be hearings in Congress on this. Do you know anything about that? Yep. There's a, there's a Senate hearing that is going to be held. Um, the, I was actually in conversation with Secretary Buttigieg during the, the time period because I was very concerned about Southwest Airlines, and I was very concerned that their focus was not on the right things after it happening so many times. It's time that there's some oversight. Uh, an airline that is the nation's largest airline should ensure that its IT infrastructure is sound enough, and it should have the right methodologies in place to prevent something like this from happening. Okay, let, let's pick it up from there. You you mentioned the Transportation Department and Secretary Buttigieg. Now, is there something that he missed on this whole thing? And I, obviously, there they, they it seems like government is trying to remain hands-off until they get to a breaking point, and we're at that breaking point right now. I'm just wondering... Uh, could they be more proactive or could they have been more proactive on this type of thing to prevent what happened during the holidays? You know, that's a good question. Could could they? Uh, certainly, I think they need to make sure that the FAA systems are up and running. I think that's imp- that's important. Um, but I'm not sure. I feel like he's been receptive to what we've had um, going on today and, and the the interest in, in Congress and taking a look at what's had occurred. I think that uh, we'll see, we'll see how it goes as we pass through this uh, time period and, and wait to see if we, how, how I feel about it at that time. Well, I'm just hoping that when they have those hearings, they're going to hear from the workers point of view. Have you been invited and um, uh, in the pilots, do you know anything about that to make sure that yes. they, they have their voices heard on Capitol Hill? Yes, we have been invited, and um, there's a good chance that I'll be, that I'll be there uh, talking about it and and sharing the stories of flight attendants and what happened with us. There is a website. Those of you listening right now, you might want to go to makeitrightswa.org. Makeitrightswa.org. Yeah, another thing could happen like what happened 
over the uh, over the holidays here. Lynn Montgomery joining us on our live line today. She is president of Transport Workers Local 556, which is the union of Southwest Airlines flight attendants. We're talking about 18,000 flight attendants all around the country. Later in the show, we're going to go to Southern California, check in with IBEW Local 47. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's CWAD4.org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll-free at 1-800-443-3752. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our show on a regular basis and give us a rating we always appreciate those five-star ratings so please keep them coming by the way this next segment brought to you in part by the north coast labor federation uh lynn montgomery joining us on our live line today she's president of uh, local 556 of the transport workers union again the website i want to drive you to is make it right swa if you are flying southwest airlines you've got to be concerned about the future of that airline including me lynn montgomery we're going on vacation in four weeks and we booked this was long before what happened during the holidays we uh we booked uh, southwest airlines at the uh, the end of february and i'm hoping and praying that everything is uh, is going to be okay uh do you have any advice for people going forward 
Uh, you said that they made a couple of changes here, but you're still not comfortable. That's that was the takeaway from the first segment. You, what's your what's your take on that? It, it takes time to upgrade systems, and you know Southwest Airlines did invest in money uh, recently. They they moved to the cloud a few years ago. Well, I think that was in fact a started when we had the, the big meltdown in, in 2016 when the, the server melted down, they did decide to go to the cloud. But because they were so far behind in the systems, that it has taken some time. And, you know, they hadn't had time to get to the crew scheduling system um, and the flight attendant communication system. But I think that we're going to do the best we can, and you're always going to have really great flight attendants to take care of you, especially you on your trip, because the flight attendants were amazing during that time period. I have such fabulous stories of flight attendants reaching out and helping our customers during that that time, flight attendants who were you know, helping uh, some elderly people that were left uh, without anybody to help them at, at stations they weren't supposed to be in, and people helping uh, a, a veteran who was having to wait in line and needed a wheelchair. They went to get a wheelchair for him. Just, just really great stories of flight attendants being there to, to help out and keeping a light attitude through it all. And Lynn, when you think about that time, people miss their holiday. They miss Christmas. They miss their grandbabies. You mentioned the seniors there. I mean, that had to be devastating for so many people and so many flights being canceled. Again, we're talking over 16,000 flights. Let me ask you this, Lynn. Uh, when you train to be a flight attendant, do they ever cover something like this, like what happened during the holiday? I know this was an extreme circumstance, but did they uh, prepare you as a flight attendant for something like that? No, not at all. In fact, I've been talking with some very new hired flight attendants, and they felt like it was really wonderful to be in training and they were so excited about coming to the job and, and they thought, I'm getting to be hired by the great Southwest Airlines and everyone says they love me. And then they got out online and experienced this kind of working conditions and just felt completely deflated by it all. It's It's been really disappointing to see. Lynn, the last time you and I talked about Southwest Airlines, I mean, obviously this didn't happen. But uh, we really got into uh, labor management discussions. And um, I know there's been a change in management, especially you mentioned uh, Herb Kelleher passing away. He was very, uh, very worker centric. This management cares more about the shareholders than anything. And that's got to be really tough, especially going into negotiations. Um, How do you see that moving forward uh, as a result of what happened last month? Well, I think that the company really now has to pay attention. They have to pay attention. I mean, I hope they realize that it's it's do or die. And I think what's really important for people to understand is that the systems and the methodology failed on December, last December it failed. But there is also a real concern that Southwest Airlines is really departing from what made it successful, as I spoke of earlier, in not investing in its workers. It needs to invest in its technology, but if it doesn't invest in its workers, it's headed for more troubles. We are not the happy flight attendants that we used to be because we cannot be. We've been treated so poorly. We've been asked to do more. We've been the victim of these meltdowns after meltdowns. 
So while the shareholders are celebrating, we're still starving and we're still waiting for more money to um, come up with the cost of inflation. We're still waiting for the company to give us a contract. Um, We've been working under an old contract since 2018. And one of the most important things to for them to realize is that we're not just sitting back trying to get leverage at the negotiating table. We are there to solve real issues, real concerns of the flight attendants. And one of them has been technology. Since 2018, we have said that the technology systems need to be updated. We've been willing to put in the work and give them the flexibility in the contract language that's required for them to be able to update and get better systems to improve the communications between pre-scheduling and flight attendants. And they just have not been receptive to it. Maybe now that we're in federal mediation and maybe now that we've had this other meltdown amongst the other meltdowns, that they will realize that it's do or die with it. You know, it's funny. You said that you want to help them, you know, through this process. But on the other side of this, they're asking you to do more. Can you be specific and because uh, I, I hear this across the board. We talk a lot about the nurses. The nurses are burned out. I mean, when they went through the pandemic, now they're dealing with uh, the flu and RSV and all that. And uh, you got crazy, you know, nurse to patient ratios and all that. But And we're seeing that throughout all industries. What's going on with the Southwest flight attendants as, as far as doing more? I mean, you did a whole lot during that meltdown. What else are they trying to get out of you? They've been uh, slowly being asked to do more and more and more, be on the aircraft earlier, board earlier. They're under more pressure to board in a less period of time. They have been uh, working longer duty days. The overnights are shorter. They have been having to never get home when they're supposed to get home because every single trip they come to work is filled with irregular operations or reschedules or cancellations up to a magnitude that's pretty unacceptable. So it's just been a really difficult time. And then they were just champions during COVID. And that was an extremely difficult time to work with the masks. And as I've spoke to you on your show before about the increase in the number of assaults on flight attendants. So it's been a really difficult time. And now they're having to work more just to come up to meet their bills with inflation. Yeah. Have the assaults pretty much uh, died down? I don't hear too much in the mainstream media on that, but what's your point of view on that? No, I mean, we still, we don't have as many assaults as as we had during the mask mandate, but we still have more assaults than is acceptable. And we're still, um, Transport Workers Union is still focusing on our assaults won't fly campaign and seeking to gain legislation to make sure that Passengers are added to that universal ban list if they misbehave on board any airline. They won't be able to travel in other airlines. Yeah, yeah. They got to be very, very vigilant on that. The airline industry does. Make it right, SWA.org. Now, that website is uh, is getting a lot of traction right now, to your knowledge? Yes. Uh, there's been a lot of people saying, make it right, Southwest. It's actually, it's been our slogan and It's now the slogan for many, especially after this operational failure. Make it right, SWA.org. Lynn Montgomery, president of Transport Workers Local 556, the Union of Southwest Airlines flight attendants. I won't tell you, you got your hands full 
and I'm hoping and praying everything's going to be okay in a month when we decide to take off for the Caribbean. All right, Lynn, you take care. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay strong, stay safe, and stay in touch, okay? Will do. Thank you so much. You got it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to Southern California, check in with IBEW Local 47. Back in a few. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.com. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBalladSystems.com to learn more. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at uaw.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to Southern California right now. And joining us on our live line is Colin Lavin. Colin is business manager and financial secretary of the Electrical Workers Union. That would be IBEW Local 47. Website, real simple, IBEW47.org. Colin has been in the trade for about 28 years, and for the past uh, 18 months, he has served as business manager. Colin Lavin, welcome to America's Workforce. How, how are we doing in Southern California today? We're doing pretty good, keeping busy, you know, keeping the There you go. You know, I, I like your uh, homepage, what you say on your homepage, powering Southern California life. I, I like that. I like that, and that's exactly what the electrical workers do. 
Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, your jurisdiction, how many uh, how many members you have, and, and let's talk about the workload over there. I'm, I'm hearing good things. Talk to me about that part, Colin. Definitely. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so our jurisdiction stretches from the northern point close to Fresno, California, and then goes all the way down the state to the border with Mexico, and then we go from the Pacific Ocean to the the Arizona border, and then we do the top middle of Nevada, uh, Esmeralda and Nye County to be exact. So we we have over you know 50,000 square miles. Uh, we have uh, around 14,000 members uh, that work for different public, private utilities, and contractors alike. 50,000 square miles. That uh, That keeps you pretty busy as a business manager, doesn't it? It does. It does. We have a, a staff of 40. Um, we have uh, 28 business reps who have trucks who drive around that that jurisdiction and um, represent the workforce very well. That's amazing. Well, let's uh, let's get into uh, the kind of work that you're doing, and uh, I want to get into safety too. In fact, I saw a post on your website about that, and it's so important when you. When you think about what goes into being an electrician and you think about the voltage and the high voltage that you work on, you got to make sure that you cover all your bases. So uh, let's get into that part and and the training. Let's start right there because it's important that we have the highest skilled workforce that we can attain when it comes to the electrical work. Can we start there, Colin? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, the apprenticeship and training is key to the next generation, right, journeyman, and the journeyman of today teaching and helping that uh, younger generation understand why it's important to learn uh, the different book smarts or trades of, uh, of work going forward. Uh, passing that stuff down and learning is huge to our industry. Safety, again, like you had said, uh, for these journeyman linemen who are out climbing poles and working with high voltage all the way down to the substation electricians or wiremen uh, working meter down stuff. Uh, it's all very important and good training. What about your, uh, I understand you got some pre-apprenticeship training that's been going on and, and you're not alone in that. I mean, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of the trades that are involved in that. Can you explain what you have going over there in Southern Cal? Well, in the, in our industry, there's a, a ton of, uh, this pre-apprenticeship training. It's all over the country. I mean, cities are doing it. We have adult schools at night doing it, and then private organizations. And it's great for the industry. It really gets a leg up um, and a place to start. Uh, the, only, the only problem that we're having is just the influx of people, right? We have great paying jobs, great work, benefits, retirement, and we just have a lot of people who want to get in. And it's tough getting through, you know, to pick out the good ones. Well, that's interesting. Can we get into that a little bit more? Because a lot of the trades, they're, they're, they're hurting. They, they need to get into more schools, and they need to get into those underserved communities, and they're, they're having – I mean, they're, they're making progress, but it, it sounds to me that you got a lot of candidates, and your part is uh, – your difficult part is screening those candidates. Can, can you elaborate on that, Colin? Yeah, definitely. I mean, screening the candidates – for the eligibility of, you know, filling the slots that we have open. I mean, we'll, we'll have close to 4,000 applicants for 200, you know, 250 uh, jobs. 
And so we, we go through those candidates uh, painstakingly and interview them individually and put them against each other and try to pick the best ones uh, for the you know next class. You know, I've heard that right now, especially with, uh, you know, EV battery plants, cars and everything and solar, that everybody wants to be an electrician. And it seems to me that's that's the case over there at uh, Local 47. Would you agree to that right now? Well, again, somewhat. I mean, we have we have different classifications. Our our bigger classification is going to be journeyman linemen. And, and I know you keep saying electrician, but that's a different part of our trade for electrical. But the journeyman lineman is is kind of the center of local 47 and and what gets us our work and the electrification of our grid, like like you were just explaining for EV, is going to be huge going forward mm-hmm. in the future. We have to rebuild basically all of our transmission lines, all of our distribution lines, feeds to the houses to anticipate the houses going to all electrical, um, different you know houses having two and three electric cars. It's it's quite an undertaking that we haven't even begun yet. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because the the industry, as you well know, is going crazy with uh, with electric cars. I mean, they're building huge plants in Kentucky and in Tennessee. You know, complementary battery plants and all that. And and uh, we, we're hearing about the infrastructure law that was passed well over a year ago, that they have to build charging stations. So right now, it seems to me, if this all happens, and if everybody buys into the electric vehicles, we do not have the infrastructure to sustain that as, as it stands right now. Right, Colin? Correct. We, we do not. We are severely behind on um, that infrastructure. And I know we're trying to catch up. Different utilities have kind of pilot programs right now that they're trying out to see what the best uh, avenue is to go forward. Some of the utilities have uh, EV charging station programs already underway that we have uh, project labor agreements with. But uh, to your point, it's still severely underserved if, if everybody jumps on board at once. In your opinion, what's it going to take to to get on, and or how long will it take to uh, to improve that infrastructure, Colin? And I I know you can only speak to Southern California. Let Let's talk about that area. Sure. I mean, I I think just to maintain with regular growth is tough enough. Let alone having to change the infrastructure itself to anticipate electrification. So I'm saying decades to bring us up to speed um, from my standpoint. And, and can you speak to the apprenticeship programs? Because obviously there's going to be a shift here because of all, all these, uh, the technologies that are in play, obviously, with the, with the batteries. And then you can throw in solar and all that. Does that change the, um, I guess, the structure of what you're teaching in those classes right now? Uh, maybe not the structure so much as the emphasis on safety. You know, by doing or by working this electrification angle, we're going to create our fault current to be higher um, on our systems, which that's the more dangerous part when there's a break in service uh, with the electrical lines. That can create a very big explosion and extremely uh, dangerous for our members that are out at work. So the emphasis on safety and training just becomes more evident and uh, apparent. And when we see, in like in summer times, you got these blackouts and brownouts. It's obviously there. There's a huge energy demand out there, and and I get it. We have we have what 300 plus million people in this country, 
everybody's using as much energy as possible. We, we talk about energy conservation, but still, with that amount of people and energy usage, it's there's a lot that needs to be done. I'm just wondering, um, in that area, I mean, you're, again, getting back to powering Southern California life. I'm just wondering if uh, what you see down the road here uh, in, in the not-too-distant future of making sure that we can get everybody on board. And right now we're looking at, you said, 14,000 brothers and sisters. Where do you see that number going down the road as a result? Well, I definitely see it growing. Um, you know, our, our membership has grown over the past couple of decades and continues to grow as we get into the utility industry. Besides just the electrical side, we're really seeing growth with water um, because we need water, right, to live. But the electrical industry is just going to be growing profoundly when it comes to electrification and preparing our industry is going to be huge across the United States. And there's just going to be different ways to look at how we store our energy, create our energy and provide it um, from the past, right? From different mm-hmm. venues like um, uh, nuclear is kind of not the big thing anymore. We, we've closed uh down San Onofre over here in Southern California, but we need something else to feed that. And wind and solar can't do it alone. So we need to create other generation angles. Uh, There are housing developments where they're harnessing solar into like a generation type station and feeding the grid. So there's really out of the box thinking going on right now. It's kind of neat. Well, the bottom line is there's a lot of work to do. There's no question. And you're in the middle of it all in Southern California. You touched on solar here in your comments. I'm just wondering, is there still a lot of emphasis there? I mean, we, you know, we often hear California is a sunshine state, so let's capture that energy. Is that still being discussed over there? Oh, definitely. Discussed and used, um, installed. We have solar plants from a generation side being installed uh, daily all over the, the Western desert, which is then creating, you know, work for substations and transmission lines. So it's, it's alive and well out here. Yeah. So you're just taking everything that you can capture and making sure that the people get the energy that they want. Okay. Good stuff. Colin Lavin, business manager, financial secretary for the electrical workers. That would be IBEW 47.org. IBEW 47.org. And you can follow them on Twitter at uh, 47IBEW. Colin, anything you want to add to the show before we button it up? No, I just appreciate your time and everybody stay safe out there and, you know, work your plan and plan your work and everything will work out all right and come home safe. There you go. Amen, brother. You take care. Stay in touch, okay? Definitely, but I'll see you. Well, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we're going to check in with the Minnesota Building Trades and the service employees in Michigan trying to repeal right to work. Until then, all of you, have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.